talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life be real Welcome one and all to your movie reviewing and reappraising podcast, Be Real. My name is Chance Solon Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. Hey Noah Ballard, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fine. Um, it's been a few weeks since we've done a, a full-length pod. I know. I feel the need to, to rekindle our friendship in sort of a close, dangerous kind of way. You want to take a trip with me? Yeah, let's put on our Make America Great Again hats and take to the river! <laughs> Why would we be wearing MAGA hats? All of these, well, I have written down really big here under general questions. Are just the river people Trump supporters or is everyone involved Trump supporters? But we can get to that. I, that's a weird question. I'm, I'll let you take the lead on that one. Um, when we last spoke, we did a quintessential summer movie category. We watched uh, The Meg, which was a doldrums of summer movie if ever there was one and talked about sharks but i feel like we're squeezing this one in under the wire of summer we're doing uh you know river trips gone awry. it's yeah honey should we go river rafting this weekend <laughs> and the answer uniformly is no, no do <laughs> not <fuck> do no. <laughs> it do not go cage diving do not go river rafting stop doing water stuff <laughs> if you want to see other people have a bad time go to the movies this is kind of, I like to think of this as a sequel to, you're a real dick, the sea, but it's kind of like, River, you're such a motherfucker. <laughs> the river is a real motherfucker, because it doesn't look like that crazy oh, no. fr- from like a wide shot, but the tighter that camera gets, there's water everywhere. Oh, yeah. yeah you never see these people's uh, soaking wet socks, but hoo boy. Yeah, they should have handed out soaking wet socks like to sit through all three of these. Like that would have been an experience. So we are gathered here to talk about Deliverance, 1972, The River Wild. R.I.P. Burt Reynolds too. We're gonna talk some Burt. The River Wild, 1994, streaming now on Netflix, uh, starring Meryl Streep in an act in a thriller. It's gr- it's really something. Uh, and then 2004's uh, Without a Paddle, which is a a broad. A broad bonding Terrible. comedy of <laughs> a broad bonding comedy of sorts with uh, Dak Shepard, Seth Green, and Matthew Lillard. Um, so we're gonna go in chronological order, yes? Yeah, please. Do we need to go to the Ethos Corner? Do you have, is anything happening in the last three weeks that must be discussed? Well, let's take to the Ethos Corner, Nick. Keep it real. Think slow. We should get through it just fine. A little rare, Donnie. Donnie, hello, runner. How was your uh, late summer vacation? I was with my family, so it was mixed. <laughs> um, Thanks, Ethos Corner. I, See you next time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had a nice vacation on Long Beach Island with my mother, father, and brother. Uh, occasionally, his girlfriend... Megan and my girlfriend Lucy, with whom I'm in a monogamous, long, no, short distance relate. What's the, what do you? If you haven't you been mean? together long enough to know the line, then you're not in what I'm in. <laughs> Perfect. So we were down the beach. Uh, friend of the podcast, Brent Rivers, made an appearance. That Love was fantastic. Brent Rivers. Brent Rivers. 
<laughs> Brent Rivers. Oh, we should have gotten him on the Rivers pod. Yep. Yeah, only only one day where they're like biblical flies. Okay. <laughs> Is that something that happens? Um, apparently when they get this like west to east breeze it like blows the flies in from the bay and like the 11th plague on (laughs) egypt or something i don't have any life updates but i could talk briefly about the fact that i went river rafting this summer what yes i haven't i haven't (laughs) Haven't you seen deliverance or the river wild or without a paddle that's the last thing you should do i've seen any of these movies before i did it um you know i have an uncle who's a professional river raft guide He's guided Couldn't have for, told you that for three decades, and he's uh, he's out here at the Clackamas River outside Portland, uh, and so Sarah, the woman with whom I'm in a monogamous long term relationship, and I, we long term that was the one I missed. <laughs> we uh, we went out short distance, not Keep short going. distance. There's nothing meaningful <laughs> about that at all. <laughs> um, so yeah, Spence guided us down the river, and it was not nearly as scary as, as all these, but. Uh, were there any three and a halfs or fours? I think we were on like two and a halfs. So nothing. Is that serious. like a real distinction that they make for like wave or rapids? Or? I don't know about the halves, but there are, yeah, numbered classes of rapids. Interesting. Yeah. You think it also depends on like how much it's rained that year? Yes, you would. You'd think almost entirely. A, la- a, lame- <laughs> a layman would think that. A lame um, person <laughs> would believe that the rapids have to do with the rain. But yeah, uh, river safety position. I learned that. Um, What's that? Like in a house, fifty you, feet away. If you <laughs> if you fall out of the boat, you need to tuck your knees up to your chest so like only your feet and shins will get hit on the rocks. You should not do what every single person in these movies do when they fall out of the boat, which is like backstroke Flail. wildly. <laughs> and so yeah. the first thing that contacts a rock will be like your brainstem. Um, <laughs> I always lead with the brainstem right. when I'm splashing about in a river. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, anyway, so I'll try to lend my expertise uh, as we uh, as yeah, It's we go. almost like we have you on as an expert for this episode. That's right. Um, all right, let's get into it. Okay, let's run. So Deliverance came out in the year 1972. As Noah mentioned earlier, it stars Burt Reynolds. But we'll talk about this more. It really stars John Voight. I believe what this movie is pushing at you is John Voight, who was a major star at the time, coming off of uh, Midnight Cowboy and leading into coming home later on in the decade. Uh, Ronnie Cox and Ned Beatty are also on the trip, and they make up this foursome. So they're on a weekend seemingly impromptu trip really pushed by lewis the burt the burt reynolds character of the kahulawasi river um which is very shortly about to be flooded by a dam they're gonna drown the river so it's basically just standing water so lewis is pushing them all pretty hard to to have this basically uncharted experience there's like this whole part of the river that's basically untouched um by by civilized man there are some uncivilized people out there uh, we'll get to them in a bit. Um, so the movie's directed by John Borman, um, who seems to me, if I'm kind of reading his career art correctly, like sort of a lesser William Friedkin. Like yep. this movie was a big deal. And or then a he, Sam Peckinpah. Sure, but then he immediately spent all the capital gained therefrom on Zardoz, Exorcist Two, and Excalibur. 
all like sort of famous <laughs> flops and then he just never did anything again which is surprising because in that sort of like 70s roving naturalist style i think the filmmaking in the first like 45 minutes of this movie is incredible um i don't know how you felt about it it certainly leaves the camera rolling a right. lot which is interesting because it lets things happen that feel almost like docu-realistic in an otherwise pretty naturalist movie right which adds this like sort of dread to it mm-hmm. and that's what i like about movies a bit from like the early to mid 1970s is you just don't know like how much of the movie there is. Cause like basically everything's amateur filmmaking at this point. Yeah, a little bit. And so you, you don't know going into this movie, like, are they going to get back to like civilization at some point? Or is this just like four guys in a raft? And then like, it cuts to a fade out of like the raft floating away and we never encounter anything. <laughs> anything can happen. It's the 1970s. And that is sort of like freeing and wonderful watching. I mean, it's weird to say that deliverance is freeing and wonderful, but I'm talking about the first act here. Like nobody thought about how to market this movie in a 2018 way. Cause they didn't have to, you know, the- how do we market a movie with graphic sodomy in it? Well, Okay. So let's talk about the two things that everybody, if you know this movie, you know about it. You know about Dueling Banjos, um, in which Ronnie Cox uh, plays like what was like sort of like a hit in 1972, uh, was this like soundtrack generated hit where he plays, um, he and uh, it's like Dueling, yeah, it's Dueling Banjos with this like uh, inbred mountain kid um, who's like prodigiously good on the banjo, but like, you know, cannot speak or make eye contact with anyone. Um, and then you know that uh, one member of the crew is raped by a hillbilly. Um, and so that was sort of my experience, like hearing about this movie growing up was just sort of like either like somber expression or kind of like a tasteless, like elbow to the ribs, like, well, you know about deliverance, right? But neither of us had seen it. No, we had not seen it. And I mean, we, we clearly had not seen any rafting pictures. No. Any river pictures. Um yeah, I mean, I kind of knew that there was, like, a rape of some kind, but I didn't know the context and just how fucking, like, there it is. Yeah, like, yeah. when they do, it's not implied. Nope. You know, you see Mountain Man, played by Bill McKinney, like, put his overalls back on, like, after he's done. It's sick. Where are you going, city boy? We'll find it. It ain't nothing but the biggest river in the state. <laughs> These are the men. Nothing very unusual about them. Suburban guys like you or your neighbor. Nothing very unusual about them until they decided to spend one weekend canoeing down the Kahulawasi River. Ed Gentry, he runs an art service. Wife Martha has a boy, Dee. Lewis Medlock has real estate interests. Talks about resettling in New Zealand or Uruguay. Drew Ballinger, he's sales supervisor for a soft drink company. Bobby Tripp, bachelor, insurance and mutual funds. Where you going? All right, I'm looking. These are the men who decided not to play golf that weekend. Instead, they sought the river. To talk about all three of these movies is to talk about ones who are Billy's from the hills. Mm-hmm. You know, the the white tea that's hanging out by the river yeah. and like how that is such a thing. But like, is that a thing? Like, what are they? 
Like, what does this movie set out to do? You have four guys from Atlanta, not like rich guys, just like working class, like sales executives and insurance agents and whatever. And they like just want to go. They want this like taste of nature before it's gone or something. Yeah. And then this movie with its biblical title sort of sets them out against the wild river people. And like, it's not so much the nature of, of this one early on. It's the, it's the people that they do or don't encounter. Cause you know, right out when they pull into that gas station that like the, this is the Hills of eyes. Oh yeah. Um, but you had that overtone that all of like the cruelty and the misdeeds and the, uh, like the literal and metaphorical like incest of these uncharted reaches is all going to be covered by the end of this movie. And like who will be covered and what parts of our past will we cover? Right. So, it's, it's almost like the purge. Yeah. You do whatever you want in this land because we're going to flood it. And they just want to flood it quietly for God's sake. But I think it is a deeply troubling portrayal of like a group of, rural poor people yeah one that we've like maybe been trying to undo up until like i mean and including like jd vance's like hillbilly elegy Mm. you know but it's you know right off that this movie like doesn't really have a lot of empathy for its its antagonist this is almost could you just like you can feel that when they're interacting with these people on their on their property right that they're like somehow less than, and the movie believes that not the characters and like the movie isn't shaming them for that. And in fact, they get what they deserve for not questioning them harder very quickly. I think it's a totally fair point. And that left me like a, I mean, didn't that leave you like a bit uneasy? Yeah, I suppose it probably should have. I think I was really overcome by just, like, the directorial prowess in that opening scene. Like, the way you talked about, like, you know, Burt Reynolds is trying to find someone to leave the cars. Ronnie Cox is duetting with this kid. We're learning about the relationships between everyone. It is immaculately, like, put together. And I don't think I quite had time to to focus on what you're talking about. But I, I, I buy it, for sure. I don't know. It's kind of, I mean, it's, of course, an old movie. Right. 50 years almost. Right. Um, but it has that, that it, it leaves a bit of a taste in one's mouth uh, for it not really believing that these are people. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain like interesting class distinction that exists in the American South. And it's very aware of it, but it's not terribly critical of it. In fact, this is a weird sort of, piece of evidence in our cinema history that maybe solidifies it. I Yeah, totally fair. The Burt Reynolds character for all of his, um, you know, intoxication with like what he will experience from the nature is sort of like cruel to the people. They are just a jumping board for his tourism. Right. And he's pretending to be a big man in that scene you're talking about. And eventually they all get what they want. They have their canoes. They get pushed off. The cars are driven down to a few towns south and then they're on the river. Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk about these films and their relationship with like what I'll call river savvy. (laughs) Uh This one, their river savvy seems moderate to low like moderate in that like probably they've done it before like with their like grandpappies right 
but they they're not river people. Right. They don't know the stakes either. And like in the beginning that's sort of like again charming and realistic. Um which is just like, well, hold on to the paddle, try to go the right way. Um and they'll be okay to a point. And of course, they almost immediately meet Mountain Man and Toothless Man. Um, I think who, it's a, I'm pretty sure it's about 45 to 50 minutes, about halfway through. I thought it was earlier than that. No. That's just how I feel. Um, and that's my truth. Um, John Voigt and Ned Beatty like, pull up their canoe. So it's two guys per canoe at the beginning. It's John Voigt, Ned Beatty, and they're like a little bit ahead. And Burt Reynolds and Ronnie Cox with the guitar and like Burt Reynolds like shouting into into the void like look at the trees and behold their splendor <laughs> it's a great reynolds thanks he'd be on and john voight pulls over and immediately they like see these guys with a gun and you know has these things happen when you encounter strangers in the woods uh one thing leads to another and we're taking our pants off and squealing like a pig mm-hmm so this is all lead up to, and you know, in the back of your mind, because I mean, I had heard of Deliverance before. Like, you know, it's coming. Can you imagine if it, you didn't, though? I feel like it's no wonder that people talk about this movie the way that they did. Because you're right. There is a sense of dread, but there also is like this sense of like. He's going to let him go. Well, yeah. He's going to let him go, right? And again, there is like a informal brilliance to the filmmaking up to that point just like learning about these buddies and like who doesn't really know each other and whose friend is whose and like Voight's a little drunker than everyone else which is kind of charming and there's that amazing scene where Reynolds who's like shooting fish with a bow and arrow like disappears out the back of a shot and everyone's like where'd he go and he comes around in the exact in the front of a still camera shot um it's entrancing and beautiful and like an interesting kind of like just like Swanbergian almost like bros hanging out. Um, right. And it, then this good happens. hang at the beginning. I know yeah. how much you love the good hang. I love but good the good hang. hang turns in, turns into something else very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Halfway through. <laughs> I don't think it's halfway. All right. So this happens. And then Burt Reynolds pulls up in his canoe with Ronnie Cox and Burt Reynolds sees what's up and immediately, uh, punctures mountain man with an arrow through his midsection center shot center shots one shot center mass movie <laughs> the negotiator nice and they've killed a man and toothless man runs off into the woods and they have to decide what to do with the body what to say they're in the middle of nowhere this place is going to be covered up and Burt Reynolds is like, Burt Reynolds is a pretty quick to be like, you know how the law chews and spits people out. I mean, if they had brought the, I mean, this is a movie. It's yeah. supposed to teach us something fine. But like in real life, had they just brought the body with them, they could have easily explained that like, he probably has his like man stuff like still in him. Like they could probably like put a pretty compelling narrative together about like what happened. Uh-huh. Why do they? Why do they choose to lie? Well, Ned Beatty doesn't want that to happen. That's oh, one of he's the so inter- ashamed. Well, it's one of the interesting dynamics at the in the end of that scene is that you know Ronnie Cox goes over to a just assaulted and naked Ned Beatty and kind of helps him put the clothes on, but like Reynolds and Voight 
do not look at him. And nobody looks at him until he wanders back over to the body of the man they've just, you know, shot an arrow through. Um, and there's like a real interesting kind of like, how is the shame? How is, how is friendship juxtaposed with like uh, disgust in this scene? Let me ask you this. Would you have left the body or would you have put it in the canoe? See, this is interesting and it makes me think that I should give the movie more credit. Um, I, I felt that when Ronnie Cox started arguing to bring, to do anything with the body, to bring any sort of law into it, I was like, this man is a mountain (laughs) rapist. You leave him and you get the fuck out of there. I could not believe there was an argument. To almost to the extent that I was like, why is the script like erupting in this moment? But I think it's a little weird and a little sad to like rob this, even this villain of his humanity and say that he's just like an animal that you can leave out there to decompose. I'm, I'm more of the law and order podcaster. That's bizarre. You, I don't think I'd leave the body. I think I'd bring him along. Really? I would want justice from the other guy. I'd want them to go out there and hunt him down. No. And then this would turn into like a weird, like post rape death wish kind of movie. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like With something you, I With you like watch. picking up the phone being like, no, I'm worried about you. You've like been going to the gym and you've lost all this weight and you like bought all these guns. Like, what are you doing? Uh-huh. And I'll be like, everything's fine. Chance. Sure. I'm going back onto the river. <laughs> um, I turned on this movie not because the rape scene ruins the movie. I mean, again, it's horrifying. But again, I think I, I think it's Im- like immaculately, terribly, you know, well put together. Oh um, sure. I think that the rape scene actually just breaks the movie. And like right after that, it's sort of like Borman thinks that because this has happened like this violence will now just give way to melodrama. Like people will visibly tangibly start doing things that will just make the movie more dramatic. And that started to rub me the wrong way compared to what I really enjoyed about the first part. I don't necessarily agree with that assessment, but I do think that when they build up to what is their like quote unquote revenge, where they exact their sort of plan against toothless man or who may or may not be toothless man. Yeah. I think it's then when they try to, when both the movie tries to throw you that like curveball that like Ronnie Cox was shot. Right. It's like, what? No, No, he he lost his mind from guilt and threw himself into the river. It's that's something. And we'll talk about this with river wild, but it is, it is very annoying in a movie that has like, to that point has asked you to pay so much attention to just like, what is there among the people. And all of a sudden the movie's just like, you know this didn't happen, but we're going to now lard this project in total dramatic irony of the fact like what these people believe happened, even though there's no doubt for you. And that felt like a real grind all of a sudden. Like, I knew that wasn't Toothless Man. I knew Ronnie Cox wasn't shot. Anybody who's watching the movie knows that. But you watch the characters make really dramatic, irrational decisions that you know they shouldn't make. And there's no ambiguity. I think you could have... But you can run up to the attempted assassination of the toothless man without having to say that, like, our dude didn't lose his mind. Right. You know, his committing suicide, if anything, would drive them harder to, like, 
want to get revenge. And then I think that gives you more emotional resonance than them thinking that like he's picking them off one by one or something with a sniper rifle. Like it doesn't make any sense. Another thing that I don't know. Another thing that compounds the sort of frustrating third act is um, I think the movie sort of believes that like Burt Reynolds just gets his by shattering his femur. Uh, but it's also oh, kind yeah. of his exit from the He's movie. He's got like half a spicy tuna roll coming out of his wetsuit, too. <laughs> um, but there's no doubt, and let's have the Burt Reynolds conversation, that he was not nearly as big of a star at this point as John Voight, but he is No, he'd mag- only done like 50, 50 episodes of Gunsmoke or something. But he's magnetic utterly magnetic oh and yeah he's running especially when he's like chest- driving in that car at the in the opening credits with the chest That's hair great. out and the wetsuit vest half undone and just oh, like shooting it's a beautiful fish man in the river with a bow and arrow and being like hey, i just got this fish center shot but the uh, balance in your bows off buddy and handing it back to john boy um and they kind of abandon that character and i feel like part of it is sort of like the uh the old like wages of fear switcheroo where it's just like the person who seems like the coward at the beginning of the journey is the one with the guts and driven mad at the end. Whereas the, you know, the brash talker is the true coward who just like whimpers through the last 20 minutes. But like, don't dismiss Burt Reynolds from your movie as it goes. I guess it's, it's, it's maybe not until Smokey and the bandit that like people discover what is, have long been true about Burt Reynolds is that like, even after we come, we still stay for the character. Oh, Boogie Nights. Um, there we sorry, go. Okay, I thought you were just being very gross, and you were, but a very, very well played. Um, yeah, I mean, do we do we have anything to say about Burt Reynolds? I wish I had seen more of his movies the way people talked about him this week. Honestly, this is only our second Reynolds after Boogie Nights. Yeah, our next episode is going to be the other seventeen films of Burt Reynolds, just back to back to back. I don't know how many movies he made. I think it's more like eighty. <laughs> That could be true. I really am not that familiar with him. It was very sad to see him pass. Right. I only knew him as sort of like the caricature of himself he like garnered in later life with that cheesy mustache. Right. He's kind of like hot without a mustache. He's very manly without the mustache. You think he's manly without the mustache? That's a super weird Reynolds take. I know, but I think he's hotter without the mustache, and that is my... That's the last word we're going to say about Bert. That's the last... That's it? (laughs) You get to declare when you've had the last word? Right, and uh, the other thing I want to say is that the rape scene happens in the first 30 seconds of this movie. That's my truth. That's not what I said, but it's definitely in the first, like, half hour. Nope. Not true. Um, Let Let me look it up. Good lord. I just have trouble believing that, like, a universe existed where this movie got nominated for three Oscars, including Best Picture. Why? It's a good movie. I don't know. It's just kind of dumb. You know, I mean, it's it's graphic and it's, like, I get it, but it's just so, like, it's such an unpolished and sort of half-baked movie in my mind. I don't know. I mean, I guess this movie, I mean, it's certainly ahead of its time. And it's certainly I don't like know if it's ahead it of its time. It's just really of its time, which is a good time for American film. I don't know. This feels way too campy to me to have been revered in like the canon as much as it is. I okay, I don't I don't agree with a couple things in there. I don't think this movie is revered in the canon. 
um, because people don't talk about it ever anymore at all, except for to say, <laughs> like, you know, nudge, nudge, my 15-year-old <laughs> friend, did you know there's a movie with rape in it? Um, so I don't think that's true. Um, I think this movie is actually an easy good bad. I think that the first 45 minutes, and I just found it because I found a, a little grainy stream, it does happen at 45 minutes. Which is exactly what I said. So I so I win? No, you do not. You said it happened in the first half hour for sure. But I definitely said it happened in the beginning, and it's a two-hour film. 45 minutes in is well below the middle. This movie is an hour and 44 minutes, and you said it happened in the first half hour. I don't know. This movie was kind of weird. It made me feel a little gross about its portrayal of humans. Um, I have trouble coming up with the reason for a lot of the actions of these characters. What do you mean? You mean in the end when they just start in behaving end, when, crazily, when, when they start behaving crazily. Right. And it's, it's hard for me to like not see this movie as pretty dated. Like I'll give you that. It's not boring. Oh, it's it, super it, it, it dated. Helped, it helped my, I mean, it, it, it held onto my attention for the whole time. It's but the most 1972 I, movie you could imagine. Right. <sighs> But I think it might be. I... Stop sighing. You want to give it a bad, bad? Give it a bad, bad. What are you going to give it? A good, bad, easily. A good, bad. E- but you said you like. You were entertained by it. Uh, I I'm entertained by the first half, which I truly think is amazing. And then I I think there's a lot of good in the first half, and I think it's a well-made movie, but it's so fucking unwatchable and like. A little cringy. I'm going to have to go ah, good, bad. All right. Good, bad. Good, bad. But like a hard, good, bad. You're never going to watch it again. No. <laughs> Let's talk about The River Wild. The River! Which is on Netflix right now, directed by Curtis Hansen, the late Curtis Hansen, who you might know from films like L.A. Confidential. Wonder Boys. Wonder Boys. That's right. A, fa- a Ballard favorite. You want to synopsize this one, buddy? Absolutely. Um, Boston area school for the deaf teacher, <laughs> Meryl Streep. There's so much happening in the first 15 minutes of this movie. Who's having issues with her husband, uh, played by David Strathairn, Edward R. Murrow himself. Mm-hmm. And the kid from the boy from Jurassic Park. That's right. And uh, reprising the same role. Basically. <coughs> yeah. This summer they're going to the river. Next summer they're going to Grandpa Attenborough's Jurassic Park. Can you imagine the stage parents of that boy who were like, that you did such a good job in Jurassic Park. Uh, we bought this new condo for the family. Next thing we're going to do is sit, drown you in a river with David Strathairn and John C. Riley and Kevin Bacon, Meryl Streep. Yeah, but Kevin Bacon's in it, so that's fine. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they're having marital problems, and he's like an architect who like can't draw fast enough or something. Cause, <laughs> so he's he's not been home very much lately. And they go to the her parents' estate in Montana. Right. And there's like a river, so they like blow up the rafts, and they, as they're about to set out, David Strathairn shows up, and he's like, "Hey, I'm here to go on this river trip." Right. 
But before he showed up, we are introduced to Kevin Bacon and John C. Riley and this other guy who were also like blowing up their raft and about to go down the river. And they're like making nice and like, you know, Kevin Bacon's very attractive and super charming and his good hair, even when it's soaking wet. Uh-huh. So he can do whatever he wants and they think it's fine. And they're going down the river together and things begin to push them together and then things begin to tear them apart. People don't do the gauntlet anymore. Have you ever done it? Oh yeah, listen, I ran the gauntlet once when I was 18 and completely insane. But I was with two other guides, experienced guides, and we were just lucky. There were two other people that summer who did not get so lucky. One guy got killed, and the other is paralyzed for life. But don't worry, we're gonna hit some threes and four pluses. You're gonna scream your guts out. You'll love it. We are gonna risk death a number of times on this trip. I'm so excited to talk about this movie. I the the best be real movies are the movies that have many 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 good things and many many bad things in the same movie and this one really fits the bill I think. I don't know if I agree with that off the bat. You might be able to convince me, but I didn't see other than like how much of this movie is Javen Strathairn trying to not fall off rocks. Like I don't know if I see like a lot of off the bat huge holes. Okay. How could you even see this movie with a the beautiful cinematography of this like Montana River and b just the star wattage on Meryl Streep like going for gold? She I don't know if she's going for gold so much as she's slumming it in a terrific genre y way that she has not as she's become like, you know, the godmother of all Hollywood in the last 25 years. It's terrific. She's like sporty in this movie and makes oh, she's so such sporty. fascinating fucking choices for what, as you over the course of it, you realize is essentially what uh, our friend who I just wish was our friend Wesley Morris would call a thing from hell movie. This is just the simplest kind of genre movie there is with a lot of like fancy prestige accoutrement around it. She meets a hot guy on the river and it turns out he's not what he seems and he won't die and he won't leave her alone. <laughs> He's still hot, though, like up until his demise. He's hot for a lot of it. Um, I would argue in death, he's pretty good looking, too. I'm sure. So much so that, one again, one of the things I find frustrating about this movie is, you know, the entire time that Kevin Bacon is up to no good. Oh, Kevin and, Bacon's always up to no good. And even... After he, like, tries to drown David Strathairn and Strathairn, like, doesn't do anything about it or tell anyone, there is still, after that, a shirtless fishing lesson scene with this hot, young piece of flat top and Meryl Streep um, that is, like, so sexy and you're like, I just wish I was watching a different movie right now that David Strathairn was not in and they, these two were just, like, sexy on the river and Jap- Jurassic Park Kid is gone. <laughs> Yeah, David Strathairn's definitely like a wet blanket on the first half of this movie, but my God, his reversal is is unbelievable. 
I think it's good because I think David Chathairn's a good actor, but I think his reversal reveals um, the problem. Th- this movie has no idea what it's doing or what it's about. Um, I disagree. This movie, no, you're so. This movie lays out from the jump that they are gonna get to the fucking gauntlet. Right. That movie. This movie says the phrase gauntlet sixty times right. before they get to the, the final gauntlet. rapids. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, the aforementioned gauntlet. Right. Because uh, the whole thing is they're about to, they're supposed to get out at a certain point before you get to the gauntlet. But what you realize. You're not supposed to go through the gauntlet. No. Even though Meryl Streep did when she was 18 and uh, didn't have a care in the world. And wasn't married to this boring architect. Right. Who wants her to what? Stay alive and raise their kid together? Um, the whole time, you're just like waiting for like the reveal. Like, Kevin Bacon is a bad guy. He's handsome, yes, but he has a little bit of Voldemort nose. You know, Kevin Bacon's really like the, uh, um, like we talked about with Billy Crudup. Billy Crudup is a poor man's Kevin Bacon. You look at Kevin Bacon, and it's an optical illusion as to whether he has good or bad intentions. It could He's always, hollow, man. It could always go either way. You can always see right through him. He's hollow, man. There you go. But yeah, so I agree with you that that, but it builds this interesting tension of, like, how is it going to happen? And then, like what these guys end game is mm-hmm. and like why they're on the river, you know? And then you hear, like you start hearing on the radio, like the, the cattle auctions been, been ransacked. <laughs> yeah. Except the movie is full of like six details that are only in the movie because you know, they're going to come back later. It's such paint by numbers screenwriting. I turned to sit, we're in the market. The uh, woman with whom I'm in a monogamous long-term relationship and I are in the market for a vacuum cleaner. Um, and I turned to her and was like, after they did sign language for the first time, and I said, if they do not use sign language to communicate so the robbers can't see them later in the movie, I'll buy the vacuum cleaner by myself. And it turns out we're splitting that fucking vacuum because they only (laughs) brought it up so they could use it later. Same thing with the vision quest, same thing with the radio thing, same thing with the Swiss army knife and the waterproof camera and the guide, (laughs) Johnny, who comes along later. The waterproof camera ended up not making any difference. But these things are only introduced so they can come back later, which is, I would say, not very good screenwriting. Yeah, and it's kind of sad that Benjamin Bratt becomes like an object in this movie. He's more expendable than Maggie the Golden Retriever. Yeah, I So at the beginning of this, I was watching it with Lucy, the woman I'm dating, um, and I was like, I bet that fucking dog eats it by the end. And right? She's like, no, <laughs> not so Maggie. Too. And then she decided, just to spite me, that Maggie was going to be the hero of the picture. And I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah. And she was right. Right. She was right. Um, which leads to some very funny, like, David Strathairn being subjected to acting with a dog. Where he, like, you know, falls off a cliff. You're and finally like, heeding me. Oh, good girl. Yeah, gee, wow, good girl. Okay, let's, let's run across the entire state, good girl. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's run across this cliff for a while. Uh <laughs> I've never gotten a chance to just talk to you alone, dog. Um, Have I told you my (laughs) feelings about Joseph McCarthy? (laughs) You want to see the new A-frame I've been sketching? Um, (laughs) This here circles a tree. Rough. Um, (laughs) Okay, but let's... Can we talk about Meryl? Let's talk about Meryl. Meryl's incredible in this movie. Does her nose get sharper the angrier she is? I agree that's true. I think it really reaches like the razor's edge around the time she says, I'm going to kill you, Kevin Bacon. 
He's like, I don't, he's like, I doubt it. And it, her nose is just says, fuck you. Right. And has, makes some choices that are so interesting. You know, like you, you hit that moment in the thing from hell movie, like where you, why won't you go away? Um, where, you know, there's just sort of like a breakdown, like a true, like, leave me alone. And in that moment, she does not play that note. The note she plays is a resignation to the fact that they are in this together and she's talking about the gauntlet and she says to a, a man who has beat the tar out of her husband and has threatened to kill her child, she's like, the gauntlet, that was 18 years ago. I, I don't know if I can do it, man. And she calls him comma man in a moment yeah. of such incredible turmoil for the I character. I cannot it's row great. this big water, man. That's right. the truth. Holy shit, it's so good. And then she has this line that I believe Sarah said she wanted to like put on a placard in her office where uh, you know Bacon's like, you seem a little anxious to be rowing this big water. And she's like, I don't think... <laughs> you don't know me well enough to know that I'm anxious. You don't know me well enough to know whether I'm anxious or just being efficient. <laughs> Yes, you don't know me well, yeah. But you can almost see, like, you know, uh, in between shoots, like, Meryl, like, goes to her private tent and is, like, noting up the script. Like, I need to get myself a better line here because the other lines in this movie are David straight there and being like, oh, gee, uh, don't hurt my family. <laughs> uh, where's my dog? Yeah. Now, did you see on the IMDb page, the first trivia thing on there was uh, an exhausted Meryl Streep balked when director Curtis Hansen asked her to shoot one more scene before filming finished for the end of the day. However, she decided to attempt it. Swept off the raft, she was in real danger of drowning before she was rescued. I did know this. Returning upriver, she told a pale and shaking Hansen that, quote, in the future, when I say I can't do something, I think we should believe me. She's a fucking, like, she's a god. Like, what a piece of amazing, like, film lore. Right. Like, that is. That's like a Laurence Olivier saying to Dennis, uh, to Dustin Hoffman, it's called acting, dear boy. Okay, so can I hit you with my big problem with this movie, then we'll rate it? Let's do and it. you can hit me with your big disagreement. The big problem with this movie is that it is clearly a movie about the heroine of our dreams who has it all. She is a, a raft guide and a, a teacher for underserved kids and is an incredible athlete with toned triceps, and she's really smart, and she can protect her family, and she ultimately is able to get save these people. Um, and her husband's an asshole, but the movie seems to think that it is the husband who needs to <laughs> have the final word. And you get into this thing where Strathairn, who has not redeemed himself for being a like neglectful, dispassionate father, like runs around and rigs a mine like to topple and save them at the end. And the last line of the movie is uh, the dad, uh, Jesse Plemons' dad from Friday Night Lights, say saying to ti saying to Timmy. <laughs> And what about your dad? What did he do? And Timmy goes, he saved our lives. And Sarah almost threw the remote control through the screen. This is not a movie gonna... about David Strathairn. It's a movie about Meryl Streep. And any fool can see it except for Curtis Hansen. It's definitely some weird, like, between second and third wave feminism where this movie and, like, Meryl Streep's characters sort of believe that, like, it's her, like, womanly duty to, like, stand up and save the day and then like quietly sort of let her husband take the glory for it. And that's how their relationship works. Right. There's some weird lines because of him being like, uh, you know, they're racing to the, to the gauntlet 
and he's saying for once in your life don't get there first um and it's kind of like yeah like the reason i'm the man here the reason he's an asshole is because he's been emasculated by his like perfect wife and needs to make a a rusty mine part (laughs) fall onto the boat that really doesn't do a whole lot other than like knock them off balance enough for her to save the day by rowing over to the gun and taking it right exactly it's it's very interesting and i but i think it's almost on purpose that like this long suffering person because it goes back to the conversation not only that she has with her mother being like back in my day like once you married somebody that was it and you made it work and then the conversation with david strathairn where he's like i'm not a successful architect and i don't want you to hate me for that right and i want to impress you again so she like her biggest sort of sacrifice is not necessarily anything she goes through. It's at the end being like, yeah, it was my husband that saved us. But the movie's not with her in that, that moment. That's not a choice you see her make. The movie, you don't think the movie is like aware of that? No, no, no. Because the movie doesn't see you make that choice to give him credit or something like that. The movie just makes the choice for him. It looks through the eyes of the little kid and it sees him saying that his dad's a hero and his, doesn't mention his mom. But I think it's sort of criticizing that because no it's so way. clearly her movie. No way! You don't. You never. After she shoots Kevin Bacon, you have no moment with her. You go to the kid, and the kid says, "My dad's a hero." I think the movie's smarter than you're giving credit for. Find me the moment where she, this comes up. Because I think it's ultimately like she's choosing between the lesser of two evils when it comes to like the strong man in her life. Like either the one that literally has her tied down with a gun to her head or the one who metaphorically has her tied down with a gun to her head. And that it ends up like glorifying the second husband, I think is the wink of this movie in saying that like, it's her struggle like hers. And, and this hasn't ended. Just one episode has. Then you come to Meryl at the end. You don't leave her out of it entirely. I, I, I mean, yes, you should end with a shot of her, but <laughs> the undisputed hero of the film. I, I still think she is the undisputed hero of the film. It's not with David Strathairn long enough to make him the protagonist like she's obvious so obviously the protagonist i think it flips to him in a bizarrely curious way the way without a paddle decides that the three people are interesting and it should spend more time with ethan uh supley and uh his hillbilly friend i think this movie we'll get there in a moment but i disagree with you i think it shows that he realizes that he is he he has to step up in this way. It's such a funny sort of like male, like I have to do this big gesture thing. And if I do just enough, it'll enable my wife to pull off the plan that she was going to pull off without me. I think it's an interesting read. I don't think it's what's going on here. I think this movie is a clear bad good. I think this movie is a good good. I think it's the best of the three by far. And I think it's one of Meryl Streep's like undersung, really good performances. She's great in a like highly watchable way. Also, people talk about when he died, people talked about Burt Reynolds in that wetsuit on the last day after she thinks oh, Trithairn is dead and she God. comes running out of that tent, zipping up her wetsuit. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, she gets back on the prowl pretty quickly and God love her for it. It's hot as hell. Um, all right. Shall we move to... Without a paddle? Yes, sure. A, a movie that is absolutely its title. Yep. <laughs> 
We were texting earlier. Couldn't be more its title unless its title was bad. We were texting earlier. Uh, you know, the three leads of this movie who go on the trip are Seth Green, Matthew Lillard, and Dax Shepard. And I don't harbor any particular antipathy toward any of those actors. And yet... But as 2018, I have to respond to that. Who? <laughs> and yet, if you were, you know, if you assigned yourself, which is what we did, <laughs> a movie that had those three in the title you would start to feel a Deliverance-esque sense of dread about the movie you were about to watch because it stars Dax Shepard, Seth Green, and Matthew Lillard. There's just no way what you're about to watch is any good. Jerry can't commit. I won't play the role of nagging girlfriend anymore. Nagging wife make you happier? Oh, dear God. Dan's a little timid. I'm afraid of cellophane. Like saran wrap? Afraid that somehow it'll get draped over my head and... That's very pathetic. It's very sticky. And Tom's not afraid of anything. Is this Billy's funeral? Is that the corpse of Billy Newwood? Tom! Where'd you guys park? But for three childhood friends... Let's take the trip. I have responsibilities. The answers to their problems... I hate you guys. ...are out there. Hey, look, a deer. So this is a movie that is uh, aware of its genre and is aware of deliverance to the point that uh, Bertram Reynolds appears in the final act. It knows that it is like a parody of both deliverance and with uh, a river wilds. And it plays on things that happen in both of those movies, both like this weird sexual experience and sort of this run in with hillbillies and sort of this, but it's also like trying to be the big chill. Right. It's like saying, so what brings these three men together is that they're childhood friends and there used to be like a fourth guy. How does the fourth guy die? An accident? A para- hang gliding accident. A hang gliding accident. And these three like go back to their childhood tree house. Don't these people have jobs? <laughs> And then they decide they find in the this tree house, this treasure box. And in it was this like not only the maps they made as kids to like find this D.B. Cooper's bounty. Sure. But also there's like updated maps with like modern charts because their dead friend was like planning to find this movie or was planning to find this money. Right. And he like, but they said no to hanging out last summer. So he just like didn't find millions of dollars in cash. (laughs) And went ahead and died. And went ahead and died in a hang gliding accident. (laughs) And so they decide to go on the hang or river rafting trip to find. It's unclear to me like why a river is even involved because they seem to know like where it's not like they need to go to the river. Why don't they just drive to the the spot? It's a totally all these other point. movies are, are are about like like being on the river and like right. needing to get past something. But this one doesn't. It doesn't matter. And in fact, they're not on the river for very long. And most of the action of this movie takes place on land. Right. But it still hits that annoying beat that uh, the first two hit with some actual like, you know enjoyable majesty but this movie hits with just like we made it onto the river and one of them says hey look a deer 
It's like that level of... Uh, and then it's like your digital deer from the end of uh, Wild right. or whatever. And Can I just say, though, like while the first two movies are beautifully photographed, this one looks like they built a river in a Hollywood backlot. Like the water's very blue. Yeah. Like in a not river way. Right. It's like they took the, they were like draining the Titanic tank and they're like, can we shoot here for like a week? I think that's a great point. Yeah, there is a point where they come up and it's just like, I'm sorry, this is a river in Oregon or Universal Studios? Yeah, it's clearly like uh, some simulacrum of uh, a river. <laughs> uh, and this is a simulacrum of these other movies, so. Exactly. Yeah, it's like a, it's trying to Maybe. honor it, but also be like a parody Maybe of it. But in this also... very subversive David Strathairn's The Hero way that Noah thinks, but I certainly don't buy. Maybe without a paddle's the best That's movie of all. That's not what I said. <laughs> I'm agreeing with you that Meryl Streep is the hero of The River Wild. Uh-huh. But I don't believe she is the hero of Without a Paddle. Nobody's the hero of this movie. Well, actually, you know what? It's us for uh, sitting through this goddamn thing. I really liked The Bear. The bear is well trained. The did you feel like the bear and this is you know the fact that we're talking about the fucking circus bear in this movie tells you how little we want to talk about the rest of it. Did you feel like the bear was very well groomed? He looked like he got in a fresh cut recently in the face. Do you think they like trim the the circus bears? I think he looked good. I told you this earlier too. I had not high, I did not have high hopes for this movie because I saw I rented it in two thousand four. And when this movie came... On VHS? Uh, I think DVD. Early DVD. Oh, nice. Um, 14-year-old boys, I think, were the target for this movie about, like, pulling cell phones out of bear feces and running from uh, hillbillies with machine guns and getting high in a burning field of weed as you run through it, because that's how that works. That's not what weed looks like. Nope. Um, <laughs> that's what I found so weird about... I mean, that whole sequence where they have, like, the... It's not even how you, like, package weed. And I remember... Hit- like, they, they thought weed look was, like, somewhere between, like, a Christmas tree lot and, like, cocaine. <laughs> That's a good point. I remember hating it at 14. And I think I was the demo for this movie that somehow made $60 million in the United States of America. Uh, so I didn't have high hopes for it this time. And I was... Uh, my faith was... My lack of faith was rewarded, I suppose you could say. I mean, it's early or early to mid 20 something people who are like lamenting what it must be like to be 30. Right. But they don't like know what that means. You know, there's no they don't have to worry about like taking off time from work. Right. They don't have to worry about bills of any kind. Do they ever like eat anything or like go to the bathroom? You know, (laughs) the only things that occupy their time are finding suitcases full of money and having sex with like tree nymphs Mm -hmm. and that's and like man being an adult is so hard because like there's that maybe fiance living with girl that matthew lillard's with who like breaks up with him until he decides they're not broken up anymore and then she's like waiting for him that's why the matthew lillard as opposed to luke wilson casting is so bad because at least luke wilson as he's like played that old school role over and over again can convince you that he's someone who's you know bending and breaking under the weight of a boring life but matthew lillard like apparently has a job that gets him into a boardroom but he's like a dumb enough surfer that he's bad at it but then like how did he get it in the first place you're right it's like a dude where's my car kind of like how old are they the verisimilitude of this movie is very much lacking right 
you know, but what should we expect from the director of uh, Heavyweights and Little, Little Nicky, Mr. Deeds, Drill Bit Taylor, Movie 43, and Netflix's Sandy Wexler. Stephen Brill does not have a good resume. In fact, he may have one of the worst but comedy resumes. He has such resumes. a consistent, like, bad resume. Yeah, it's like, true. you've heard of all these, like, bad, well, all this shit makes stupid money. movies. Yeah, that's so sad. I know. I wish I was like that mediocre at something. Mm-hmm. But consistent. But that like consistently mediocre that I could make a living. He makes a movie like every couple of years. Right. The, I don't I do not actually think the direction of this movie is that bad. When they do like the slapsticky river fall offs, when they do the, you know, they crib the matrix bullet gag. Um, there is sort of like this. Oh weird... my god, that's so that is shameless. It's shameless, but like it's not done that badly. I mean, you can see why Stephen Brill keeps working. Like, it's not a bad, not a badly directed movie. It's just a terribly written, acted, and ultimately conceived one. It's a shame uh, Stephen Brill didn't write this movie because his writing credits include The Mighty Ducks, ah. D2, The Mighty Ducks, and D3, The Mighty Ducks. So he's a great, great writer in your, in your <laughs> I- eyes. I mean, it's on paper. What more can be said? <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, so yeah, you have a movie that on the one hand is like, uh, purports to be about like adult problems without anyone acting like an adult. And on the other hand is just kind of the tropiest, hackiest, let me get a teenage boy to laugh about, um, you know, these wood nymphs like you said with hairy legs pouring water on each other's breasts like it's it, this movie is like for no one and like does nothing particularly well and yet like made a bunch of money um but yeah this movie is like a very long music video for like faces ooh la la which is featured in this twice you wisely pointed out that this uh they spent all their money not on the stars if but on the soundtrack cost 30 million dollars five million dollars of it was for the soundtrack was for licensing yeah the songs yep for sure it's got culture club it's got of course blind melon no rain it's there's some real good ones in there yeah let me ask you if you found i mean i guess we have to talk about the uh the clear examples of uh, overt racism and homophobia. Oh yeah. How out of nowhere, I think the biggest surprise for me in this movie that had no surprises to offer a film goer whatsoever was how quickly that a laser pointer is introduced as quickly as a laser pointer is introduced in this movie, a dot, a red dot ends up on Dak Shepard's forehead which is immediately followed up by him doing a stereotypical racist Indian accent. It really comes out of nowhere. And it's kind of, it comes out of nowhere. It's pretty jarring. It's almost like the sodomy scene in deliverance itself. That's not it's true. like, he's not going to make a racist joke. Is he? Yes, he is. Right. There it is. He's still making it. Will he please like get out of the way of that laser pointer? Yes. Uh, so there's that. And then there is the much, then much the, more conceived uh, gay panic thing in the cave. Oh, my God. Such gay panic when they're just trying to keep warm and they're like are not wearing clothes for like very masculine reasons. It's suddenly like 
and then one of them gets a boner. Right. And that's that's when you so when you were 14 and you watched this and Matthew Lillard got a boner, you didn't like lose your mind. No, I did not find it funny. I'm proud of 14 year old Chance for being the stubborn old man he is in his late 20s. I appreciate it. Um, and that's right about when uh, Burt Reynolds shows up again. What do we have to say about uh, 2004 Burt, who is just taking a check because he was once in deliverance? He's like this guy who's been hiding out in the woods for 30 years waiting for his buddy to show up, which is like kind of a cute little arc for him to have. And then ultimately, like these guys help him find the money he's been holding out for for a really long time. Yeah. And like he gets some solace in the end and he's got some funny clothes from the 70s, which look like Burt Reynolds clothes, which is like a joke in and of itself. Right. I think it's a good cameo, but it's like saying that, you know, oh, I liked the paprika and those otherwise spoiled deviled eggs. Yeah, he's got that one like kind of like good show busy joke that doesn't make any sense when Matthew Lillard puts which, on wait, which one? He puts Matthew Lillard has to put on the good time shirt and then Seth Green and Burt Reynolds <laughs> are both doing like the JJ Walker's dynamite thing. And like right. at one point Seth Green like really goes for it in a way that's kind of questionably racist and Burt Reynolds goes, That's too big. Um, which is just like, why would, why would this mountain man start talking like a casting director all of a sudden? But it might, for me, it might be the best line of the movie as nonsensical as it is. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll agree with that. It's not a movie where we really, there's a lot of fight to be had over the best lines because all the lines are like, you guys, I have asthma. I can't do this. Or like, you guys, like. I've had sex with everyone and I sell motorcycles or like run from the bear. Like there, there are not a lot of uh, winning lines in this movie, but one winning line that I've written down, I believe it is Burt Reynolds too. When he like looks back at them, um, when he, after he's found his friend, like the movie has been resolved. He goes being alive. That's the treasure. Right. Or maybe it's Matthew Lillard. But anyway, that's a decent line. It's fine. The whole D.B. Cooper thing is ultimately kind of stupid, too, because they, like, make this big, like, screenwritery deal about the fact that... So they find D.B. Cooper's skeleton, and he had to burn some of the money to try to stay warm. And Matthew Lillard's like, he did all this for the money, and yet he used it in the end to do get the most precious thing of all, life. And it's like, but none of you need the money or are really concerned with the money. So this is not like a relevant... Well, except for Dax Shepard, who's clearly like hundreds of thousands of dollars in gambling debt. Yeah, but he is not chasing the money for that reason, at least, or he doesn't say anything about it. He's just living threesome to threesome at this point. Right. So the moral of the movie doesn't really make any sense. Does the movie have a moral? Did you stumble upon one while you were watching earlier today? I stumbled into that cave with the D.B. Cooper skeleton, and the movie yelled at me that it was to enjoy life. What an interesting set piece that's, like, not worth anything. (laughs) Women don't play a very key role in this film. No. Would you like to talk about that, or should we just (laughs) say that it's completely fucking self-evident and get out of here? I mean, we're just tapping. We've been tapping nails into this, like, coffin so much that there's, like, no wood (laughs) left. It's just nails. Um, I say without a doubt, this is a bad, bad and should be avoided at all costs. It's terrible. The only, I get this weird sense of relief on Be Real now because, you know, I feel like you and I are the same in that, like, on the right day, like, we'll watch anything. Like, any movie, sure. I'll reevaluate my opinion on that. I'll watch. I just like movies as a thing. But when you watch one like this, you're like, okay, thank 
God, for the rest of my life, I can remember that I don't have to watch this movie again. The same thing happened to me with like Cool Runnings, where I was just like, okay, I've watched Cool Runnings for the final time in my life. <laughs> I can close that door. I feel like I closed it without a paddle door today. That's nice. I think Cool Runnings is way better than without oh, a paddle. Oh, it's way better. See, and, and to bring them up in the same breath is offensive. Sorry. That's the movie about Jamaica's first bobsled teen you're talking is that about. True? Um. Yeah, no, this movie's terrible. And I literally, being alive, that was the treasure uh, after the movie had ended. But, you know, if people are going to make movies and put them out into the world, I'm going to continue to watch them, even if they're just garbage. This is not an exaggeration. I would watch Deliverance five more times before I would watch this one more time. Oh, my goodness. Um, Well, I would say that we should raft together, but like we talked about, don't raft. Do land-based no. activities with your friends. Go to the movie. If you want a group activity, go to the movies. Yeah. That's what I say. Oh. There should be more movies about friends going to the movies. The river, you motherfucker. <laughs> the river, you motherfucker. Um, all right, folks. BeRealPodcast.com for all our recent episodes, uh, including one about uh, Crazy Rich Asians that we just put out a little bit ago. And you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, except I may decide not to use it at any single moment of my life. Um, you can find us there. Keep up with the show. Let us know what you think. My friend, it's always a pleasure. Rate us. Rate us. Give us a rating. Rate us on iTunes. And while I encourage you to have integrity and honesty in every other part of your life, five stars would be nice. Thank you. Yeah, something nice or nothing at all. <laughs> all right, buddy. Hey, this has been such a pleasure. Keep on